0: Welcome to Season 5 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name is Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. When I started this podcast at the beginning of 2021, I had no idea that the episodes and discussions would resonate with so many educators across the globe. So thank you to all those that have downloaded, listened to, shared and reviewed the podcast. It means the world to know that there are teachers out there that are benefiting from these discussions. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce you to the amazing Alex Wharton. Alex is the principal at Caranya Christian School in Gunnedah. He is a passionate school leader and a wonderful advocate for our teaching profession. Throughout his teaching career, Alex has been the recipient of numerous awards for his outstanding contribution to education. Some of these include the New South Wales Premier's Teaching Scholarship, the Australian College of Educators' Paul Brock Medal, the Teachers Guild of New South Wales World Teachers' Day Award, and most recently, he was the recipient of the 2021 Commonwealth Bank Teaching Fellowship. Alex has presented at local, state and national education conferences, and he has published teaching and learning resources extensively. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talked about leading from within your organisation, building teams and supporting teacher capacity, and how to protect what matters most. I hope that you get a lot out of our wide-ranging discussion. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from?
1: Thanks so much, Matt. And um, yeah, hello to your listeners. Great to um, be on here. So i um, phoning in and joining you from um, rural New South Wales, um, uh, uh, Aboriginal lands called Kamilaroi um, Nation, and we're about um, six hours northwest of Sydney, actually, if you know New South Wales geography at all, where we are in Australia, in a little country town called Gunnedah, where our population's about 10,000. Um, so big enough to have a, a Coles and Woolies in an Aldi, but not big enough to have um, a, a shopping centre or anything like that. So, um, yeah, beautiful countryside. Have uh, Hipster Coffee shops made it to Gunada? There's actually one, and it's a chain from Tamworth, would you believe? So um, there is, there is, we get a bit of a Hipster Coffee vibe, and they've got a big poster out the front which says Smiles and, and, and Coffee, and that gets a lot of um, yeah, the locals talking, so that's a good place.
0: Fantastic. Speaking of uh, coffee, what is your coffee or?
1: Yeah, I'm a large mocha man, so I love really sweet things, and um and I wanted to include my size there as well because that's my go-to. Fantastic! So, like a bit of bit of chocolate with your coffee. That's right.
0: That's right. Lovely. Lovely. Uh, do you have an item that is still on your bucket list?
1: I'd love to go and see the Eiffel Tower. I've done a little bit of travel in my time, some professional and some personal, and um and yeah, I'd love to go to, to France. I've never been there, Paris i um, have learnt French at high school and I've still um got wanna want to have the opportunity to practice it. Um, my high school French and yeah, go and visit some of those amazing sites and culture.
0: Fantastic. And uh, the Eiffel Tower is spectacular. Um, you've you've been yourself? I have. Um I have I've been a number of times. I was born in the UK and so sort of Paris is just across the ditch, but I most recently went with my wife and it was a freezing uh, Parisian winter night, and we were not prepared for the walk, and we had a number of fights in the back streets of Paris <laughs> trying to find the Eiffel Tower. But once we got there, it was stunning. It is well worth well worth the trip. And at some point in the evening, it lights up spectacularly. So that was a really That's nice so way good. to uh, uh, break the tension in my relationship after I caused my wife to, to walk through the back streets of <laughs> Paris. Um, is, is there a book uh, that has made you stop and reconsider everything or books?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so hard being oh, so many teacher by trade and so passionate about literature and the power of literature to have a lasting impact on us. And the very first thing that came to mind was Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, um, a book that made me reconsider what it means to kind of be human, how we relate to each other, the nature of race relations in particular. And of course, um, underpinning all of that empathy, the ability to feel so deeply and um, put yourself in someone else's shoes to use that. Um, Famous quote. That was the first one that comes to mind, and is still a tried and and tested one for me.
0: Amazing. Well, we uh, named our firstborn Harper after that. um, After that uh, wonderful book, and it was a book that my wife and I read. We went to high school together, and we read it at um, at high school together. And it's one of those books that has uh, has really transformed my life as well. I mean, my wife is Indian, South African, and so my children are the first sort of Australian-born uh, members of our family and wow. for them to be able to navigate what does that mean to be Australian? Mm. What does that mean to be mixed race? What does that mean to have parents of different identities? And it really made, it really um, opened my eyes to some of these issues that I've never um, had to, uh, and I've never encountered um, as, a, as a white male. And so I'm mm. so glad that you said that book. It's a book. I'm looking over at our bookshelf now and it's is- <laughs> Looking out at me, I think it's about time I went and revisited that. That's so good. And if you could have a dinner party with anybody who would be there, obviously your lovely family. Uh, doesn't That's take, right. Uh, doesn't
1: take yeah, up. they go without without saying my beautiful wife, Jenny, but also thinking like someone who I love, thinking about leadership and, and learning. And so I put the Obamas down on my guest list, um, both both Michelle and, and Barack. And, um, and also kind of thinking, well, leadership and then education. So maybe someone like Eddie Wu, who I, I really look up to and is a great um, inspiration to me. Being an English lover, I couldn't go past Shakespeare, who I'd love to just pick his brains about the, the you know, the richness of unmining um, some of um some of those literary treasures which he's um left our society, of course, and mm. then bringing it a little bit closer to home. Um, I, I thought maybe the last guest to have around the table would be someone inspirational like Kathy Freeman, and I still um read, uh, reread her her autobiography that she's written about her story. Um, it's called Born to Run. And um, and every morning when she was 12, she looked up at a sign which said, I want to be the world's best runner. And when she got up at 4 or 5 a.m. to go for athletics training, she looked at that. And um, yeah, I'd love to chat with her about that and her experience having an impact on, on me and the students that I teach as well.
0: Amazing. Uh, I can confirm that one of, I've spoken to one of those guests um, and Eddie Wu is everything you can imagine. He is wonderful and kind and generous and just a... Um, just a spectacular addition to our wonderful um so but i i wouldn't mind an invite too if you can get kathy freeman shakespeare the obamas and Eddie woo to dinner sounds, sounds a great joke doesn't it it's uh yeah, like the beginning of an amazing joke um so alex for those people that aren't aware um what do you do uh, yeah. where do you teach and how uh, did you get to be in a position that you are now within your wonderful school
1: yeah, so good. So, um, Alex Watton's my name. I, I My current title and role is principal at Kareena Christian School in Ganada. So rural New South Wales, as I, already, as I already acknowledged. And I'm actually a teaching principal as well. So really still see the value of our leaders and great teachers um, being in the classroom. So I've got about a point two teaching allocation Uh, at the moment, Um, part English, but also kind of just filling in as well, you know, COVID's really affected our school quite significantly in staff shortages, as I know a number of our colleagues and listeners could identify with. And um, so I've been teaching out in the country for about four or five years now. I was um, born uh, in Sydney and um, grew up in Coogee on the eastern suburbs and the beaches there. And went to school there, but really my, my love of learning kind of started from such a young age where I would just, I grew up in a household of books, um, even got some families who, family members who work in book publishing. And so growing up in that love of reading and love of learning and curiosity really kind of set my trajectory up where I went on to study um, ancient history and in English literature at, at uni, at Sydney Uni there. And, um, and then started to do a number of pracs, including taking a prac out in the country and saying, you know, I could really kind of give this country teaching a go and the lifestyle and the opportunities there. But my teaching um, really opened up uh, in Western Sydney, in particular, in some um, less resource schools, some less reach schools there. And I was teaching in Western Sydney and the Hills area for many years. Uh, and then from there to the Northern Beaches, where I, I became a head teacher of English in particular and started to really find my niche after a number of years teaching and um, and really love leading, love working with other teachers, loving kind of that craft, that art of teaching, that pedagogy, but still also holding on to your passion and your, your specialisation for your subject. And so I was doing a head teacher role for a number of years and then um, an opportunity came up in Gunnedah. And, um, and my wife is also a teacher. We were both thinking, how could we use our skills together uh, for a less resource, less rich place? And Ganada was the place uh, in the fact that the, the school that I'm currently working at, Karina, was a primary school for many years. And then they were looking to expand because of the town's growth as well um, into secondary school. So I came on board and my title was head of middle school. So basically growing year seven from the ground up in the secondary and building that. We're up to year 10 now this year. And then after a number of years in the school, I, um, I moved out of the head of middle school role to um, the role of principal, which is where I'm speaking to you from um, today.
0: Fantastic. How on earth do you manage to handle those dual, or well, not just dual roles, there's the role of leadership there's the role of um, administration there's the role of teaching like have you always been good at working that out or is it something that you've kind of grown into
1: yeah, it's, it's so interesting for us to think about, you know, the nature of, of reflection and taking time to think, uh, what are we doing? Where are we investing ourselves? And how do we manage a whole range of kind of those those complex um, aspects of our work is so, so important. And so being really intentional and, and taking time to reflect. When I was an early career teacher, I used to keep a logbook, in fact, and um, I used to print out emails from parents and students that I would receive that I'd look after a read after a hard day and look at. And I think that nature of reflecting is just so important. And so now in my role, I think, well, really, what are the most important things? I have, a, I have an attitude um, and a mindset, that of people during the day and then paperwork at night. And so when my kids are in bed and I've got that hour or two that I, I choose to spend and, and kind of really focus on that admin time. But during the day when I'm at school, people I'm here to invest in, to teach, to walk alongside, to mentor, to grow. Um, including my immediate team, but also our wider school community. And and being in the country community is such an important thing. And um, I really feel the support of that community behind me in my role as well.
0: Well, have you uh, always been good at um, putting uh, people and paperwork into separate areas of your day or is it something that you want to or because I mean yeah great question I've actually um
1: I've actually I've I've made so many mistakes Uh and so many fails over the years Matt that I've really had to learn my own rhythm and my own sync in that and I'm someone who loves like I already acknowledge reading and information so I read a lot of like self-help books um books around organization there's a great book that I've just finished reading called Life Admin Hacks That was a new release from Pam McMillan and looks at anything from kind of managing your family calendar to your super to just important life admin and and dedicating those times and giving you strategies. So I really um, have had to learn to grow in that because for me in so many years, you know, the way that um, all of us as educators and, and as leaders think about our work is often we make the mistake and we reflect and then we want to seek to do better. And I've certainly identified that on my own journey as well.
0: Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. I I remember reading a book by um, David Allen, a, a classic, Getting Things Done, and um, he uh, it, that was the sort of the first book that I read that I thought, wow, I need to get some sort of structure and system in my life because there is so much fun. coming in. And at the time, I was an undergraduate doing full time uni, which was three days a week and working a Saturday shift, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> so busy. That's right, um, but life doesn't seem to get any simpler, especially when you introduce um, small children to the equation yeah, that's um, right. How on earth Alex, do you um, uh, uh, how on earth do you bounce back like when things don't go to plan, where there's a mistake made or when things don't run as smoothly as they should, how do yeah. you get back up and, and, and turn up to work the next day? We've that's all such a that great
1: question, Matt, and so important for us to think about in my classroom, I have a poster up. And it says FAIL and it's an acronym and it says first that fail is first attempt in learning and um, of course there's always a student who will sit in the class and say that's all very well and good sir. what about the second attempt then mm-hmm. is it failure then but I actually think you know I'm really kind of learning to sit with the mistakes that we make I think that is so important using a metaphor for me of, a, of an elastic band of being flexible that's something yeah. I've really had to work out um, hard in my, my own leadership and my own reflection because I'm, I'm a highly sensitive Person, I'm highly empathetic. I'm, I'm very relational. And I think, um, you know, the, the great work that happens in schools are done by, you know, it's all about relationships. If you really think about the work of, mm. of what we do. And, um, and so I'm very sensitive but I think also being vulnerable to feedback and to saying actually you know what giving yourself some space to grieve or to process that yeah you really did make a mistake or you need to seek that person out to apologize having that space and giving that giving that a name and then I'm um, looking at looking at tomorrow as a new day and a new opportunity I think is, is really important because failure and making mistakes is a certain part of life and unlike a social media post map where we can click edit and you know rework it and republish it a lot Life isn't like that, isn't like that is it and um, I think about the mistakes I've made in the classroom in the staff room in my own work and um, and I think yeah that vulnerability of, of acknowledging that and then going back the next day and saying hey I've been thinking about this and I wasn't really happy with with how I came across of communicating myself or I wanted to let you know I've been thinking about it I'm sorry and um, and yeah giving yourself some some space and some room to breathe and process that is really important
0: yeah wow that's that's so important and I, I'm frantically scribbling down notes here and so <laughs> excuse me some of the questions are not formulated as well as they should be but I'm I'm really interested um, Alex in hearing about how you look after yourself like because you've got a um, you've got two young children as we both do one of yours is three months old I believe that's right
1: that's right And I know that
0: that period in my life when I had a three-month-old was just chaos Mm. So how on earth do you um, rejuvenate how do you um, replenish yourself so that you can be the best husband you can be the best teacher the best school leader so what some of those practices look like for you
1: yeah, Matt, I think it comes back firstly just to knowing yourself. You know, you think about um someone like Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages, which essentially yeah. categorizes, you know, how who you are and how you feel cared for. And so for me, quality time is really important. So I know one of the ways that I'm I rejuvenate is quality time with my family, picking up the phone to some mates, um, some colleagues perhaps who who I don't teach with now, but who get me and know me. And I think that family at quality time is. Is really important it's really important to fill your cup lots of educators will talk about that Matt and that image and metaphor of filling your cup with things which which bring you joy outside um, being in the country everyone's really into their gardens so my wife and I have been trying to make a bit more of a concerted effort um, around that to, to invest in that and and that's talk about failure the amount of plants I've killed um, accidentally but that's a different story and a whole lot of trip to bunnings I also think Matt it's worth thinking about um, yeah kind of the opportunities for holidays and using yeah. those really really well you know to teachers are notorious and educators for burning themselves on the altar of sacrifice, of marking, of planning, of doing, you know, going above and beyond in our work um, in in and out of the classrooms characterized by that exceptional um, heart for for always wanting to do better. But of course, you know, if we don't um, have things to look after ourselves, and kind of boundaries in place, then we we actually are in danger of not being sustainable, um, not not um, investing in our you know early career teachers and so on, and not having that longevity in the profession. So for me, practically, it looks anything like not having work notifications for emails on my phone. Uh, to scheduling emails if I write them out of hours so my colleagues don't feel this um, immediate expectation to always kind of be looking at their work and um, work emails and replying and responding as well. I really use a lot of lists, Matt. So um, even just last night in in preparation for this- this I love a list. I've got so many different lists and I have lists of about lists. um, Even in preparation that last night and thinking about this chat and and the excitement and thinking, ah, you know, maybe I've got this story or this opportunity to share, and, and um, I have post-its just beside my bed and all I do is just chuck it on a post-it Amazing. and then Amazing. the post-its kind of become on the fridge yeah. to then the fridge onto the list and got to-do list apps and all sorts of things that, that help me manage that.
0: So what is um, now this is great, this is getting really to the granular here. So what is a to-do list app that you currently
1: use? Yeah, the best one that I would recommend, I've used lots of them, anything from the built-in apps in the in the mail clients of Gmail and Outlook. The best one I'd suggest is called Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. It's an it's a cloud-based one. There's also from the App Store. And why it's so good, Matt, is you essentially put the tasks in with columns. Of course, it's digital, so you can put in your hyperlinks. It can sync with your email client if that's something for you. But I just use it anything from record keeping of my passwords um, hopefully no one's going to hack in and steal my identity from this conversation. Record keeping of passwords to um, tasks. I can share it with my family so my wife can um, put, you know, don't forget to weed the garden or we use it as a collaborative tool yeah, as well yeah, in our family. And you can have a number of different boards. So you can have a personal board, you can have a school board, you can have your hobbies and co-curricular boards and um, and Trello is where it's at.
0: Yeah, I use an app called Things. I've got it just yes. here with all my to-do lists. And what is particularly great about that is as I'm walking through the school, a, a colleague or a teacher that I supervise may say to me, hey, Matt, remember you need to do this and I will capture it straight away. And that's one so of the things that David Allen talks a lot about is the importance of being able to capture and then allocate to different areas. Uh, my wife and I have a shared shopping list. Um, so she'll just great. dump everything in that she needs me to pick up from Woolies. Yeah. Um, and as well, like for us having a shared Google calendar, we have one for... I have one for work, which she doesn't want to see that um, she can jump in and say, look, do I have a commitment on a certain night? Can she book in a family dinner? Yes. And We have reoccurring date nights. We have reoccurring catch up with friends because I don't know about you, but I find the less decisions I make the better mm. I think mm. decision fatigue is a real is a real challenge um, mm. and a um a friend of mine a colleague of mine called a uh, Dr Adam Fraser um, talks about um decision fatigue um, but he talks about <laughs> decision fatigue and the amount of decisions that we make each day that are avoidable yeah. Um, and also how that can really impact our stress le- stress levels. Um, so That's right. I love I love a good productivity hack. Um, yes. But for me, I think it makes it cr- it creates space so that we can spend time doing what matters the most. And as you right. in the daytime it's people, at the nighttime it's paperwork. But.
1: And- Matt, yeah. can I speak into that a little bit as well? You know, this idea about the, de- the decision fatigue is so important and, and helpful when you think about kind of, you know, the pressure in our brain that we can feel sometimes when we when we don't have the cognitive ability to make the decision or it might feel too hard. And the research I've been looking at, I haven't got any specific particular um you know sources to refer us back to in this particular time but we can always do that later is that teachers in their individual interactions on a school day have over 2000 interactions and are looking at the, the up to 700 different facial expressions wow. um, at any given time that's the ability of us communicating interpersonally wow. think about the cognitive load let alone adding decisions of what do we want for dinner you know oh, minutiae so. to what do our what do we want our reporting and assessment to look like at a school level we want to be able to work with and know how we work how to play to each other's strengths and I think that concept of of, um, of decision fatigue of knowing um, the ability to communicate and the demands on, on people in the classroom on school leaders on school communities we want to be really um, working yes smart not hard in that space so what you've reflected back is great
0: yeah uh, look I, I really I, I, I really believe that and I think it's so important and one of the things that I've tried to do as a school leader is make sure that those that matter most so that my students also my family at home are mm. the ones that get the best of me i mean it's so easy to arrive at the at school every morning knackered mm. it's so easy to arrive home and be cranky at the cat or to be That's right. shout at the dog and i think for me to try and create that space so that mm. those that matter most whether at home or school get the best of me is a is a real challenge and to be honest i don't think i've done a necessarily done a great job of that it's something mm. that I'm sort of constantly learning how to do and um Alex I was just wondering like how have you changed as a school leader from when you first started in the role to to where you are now because you seem like someone that is endlessly um, fascinated by new things and new yeah. innovations. but how has that changed you as a school
1: leader Absolutely. Um, uh, So interesting. When you know leadership, we start with leading ourselves, don't we? And so our kind of our work in schools, really, all all of us, and particularly teachers, but all of us who work in education really are are considered school leaders because... Even if you're in front of a group of students, you know you're leading them, and so I think I've changed my own definitions of leadership, Matt. Over that time, you know, once upon a time as a classroom teacher, I would have said, "Ah, oh, definitely, I'm you know not a leader," or as a head of department, or maybe as like a pastoral leader or a stage coordinator in a primary context. You may not be tempted to see yourself as 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 a significant school leader, but really. As I've kind of gone through the different levels in, in school systems and education, I've really learned that the most important school leaders in that definition of school leadership are those people on the ground and in the middle, the ones who are doing the face-to-face interactions and are, and are there um, seeking the feedback because you've got all the different elements at play pushing you from the top down to the, to the bottom up to the sides and you're feeling squeezed in every which way. And I really reflect as an early a kind of early school leader and um and how i would yeah perhaps be a little bit more um insular not as confident to share my ideas perhaps um i really think this this push for good evidence based uh, research and strategies has been helpful for our profession and our work in that it's giving us a more common framework and a, and a um, and a base to work with as opposed to, you know, kind of valuing always the voice of wisdom and saying, well, this is how we've done it. This is how we should be doing it because it's always been in place like that. And so I look back on the evolution of my own leadership journey and, and can just so uh, unmistakably see so much a growth at play. Um, I think doing the opportunity for you and your listeners to do any further study and research so I'm enrolling in postgraduate it might even just be a certificate or something that you're interested in but exploring those options of professional identity and professional practice Uh, for me it was a master's of educational leadership and it just was that relevance um, of of my current day-to-day work and also what I'm studying and marrying them together which has really set me up for a good good foundation now in my own work Um, yourself Matt you've done research and reading and um, kind of own professional work yourself yeah definitely I Um, mean
0: I um, I'm pretty sort of obsessed with that sort of stuff I mean I did my master's in instructional leadership down in Melbourne um, and when I was when I enrolled in the course I had no kids Um, I wasn't in a leadership position I wasn't in a leadership position and I was sitting in this room full of principals and through full of assistant principals and directors and I felt completely out of place, completely intimidated, and I felt like, I speak about imposter syndrome, I felt like I shouldn't be there at all, Um, but for me, that process of firstly getting out of my New South Wales bubble, I love New South Wales, but we all have an accent, Um, (laughs) and uh, yeah, and so to go down to Melbourne, and to do some really intensive study, and really look at at theory and practice for me was transformative. I mean, mm. um, I'm currently doing um, some online professional learning with my school and looking at doing a, a graduate certificate through Harvard online, which is looking wow. at leadership. And so to answer your question, I'm constantly um, thinking about how I can be, I guess, a more self-aware leader. That's right. Um, and I think, I think we should. I think we have a responsibility to do that. Um, mm. For me, um, I'm also really passionate about making sure that the the research that I learn about in university and the things that I read about, I actually have time to implement in my classroom. Because mm. um, for me, keeping those keeping a foot in both camps, I think is incredibly important. And I'm so grateful. I mean, we both are, um, are involved outside of um, uh, outside of school in, in a volunteer capacity, and I get to. Mm. It's really wonderful to get to work with people um, and to get to motivate them when when money and pay and position isn't a uh, isn't a thing. That's and right. So to get to do that for me on the weekends is is, is hugely um, hugely rewarding. Uh, so yeah. So to answer your question, I, I think we should be sort of constantly changing. I mean, I look at myself. Um, gosh, five years ago when I started in my leadership journey, and um, I did the best job I could, but it was a bit embarrassing, really. Um, uh, that's you think right. You've got to. You think you've got to prove yourself, and you think you've got to, you know, fool everyone. But everyone knows that you don't really know what you're doing. You're not that <laughs> good at fooling anyone. So I think for me, taking the time to um, be a little bit more um, reflective, uh, mm. to take the time to learn how to listen, has been hugely transformative. Um, mm. Yeah. I, do you look back on your first sort of years as teaching as a, a as a practitioner and think, oh my gosh, like if I could say something
1: to that teacher? Um, that's right. Very you know, much really, so. Yeah. I, um, I reflect on that as a, such a formative time, Matt, because yeah. those early years, you know, um, if you're if you're not supported by a good mentor and uh-huh. by kind of you know that that professional learning and that resource, we do see that those levels of of early career teacher attrition really tapering out. And um, and for me in my own class, particularly being kind of a secondary um, secondary trained teacher and not being much older than my students. Um, in year 11 and 12 when I was teaching that I, I remember thinking I was kind of one one or two lessons ahead from from time to time across that that stage six topic. But then I think about the amazing teachers that I'd walk into the staff room and say, what Are people like how are you approaching this lesson? Asking questions, being curious, um, having the confidence to say that I actually need some help and I would love some um benefits here. Um, yeah. you know, the collegiality that comes with that sharing process, and then of course, the if anyone's had the opportunity to supervise prac students, for example, yeah. you know, that that mutual beneficial um relationship and and coaching community that that yeah. happens is just so rich,
0: yeah, so important. And how do you like practically as a school leader, how do you? sort of build that vulnerability and that collaboration into the culture of your school.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing that we've done at my school in particular is, is around professional learning communities and so giving teachers who are interested in a particular um, kind of topic, the opportunity to do some action research to meet quite regularly and to create space in the timetable uh, to resource that well so that they've got those opportunities and and our PLCs have ranged anything from kind of looking at the relationship between academics and behaviour to initiatives around Aboriginal education, which is important. Mm. In our school context, we've got 19% Indigenous students in our community. Yeah, wow. I'm here in Canada uh, to other kind of aspects, Matt, of, of kind of teaching and learning and, and saying we want to create cultures of collaboration. We want our leaders to lead with great authenticity. Um, you know, you talked about leaders being being self-reflective and that word agile comes up, you know, being, being flexible, coming back to the rubber band metaphor. And I think, um, you know, for, for school leaders, and that includes teachers who are leading their students to lead with um, to lead with their heart that work of being vulnerable of um, saying I'm going to try something and it may not work and that's okay but we're in the business of of making a difference and if it, I think it's got potential to have educational benefit then it's worth me looking a little bit silly or yeah. trying out this new strategy and um, and I think we want to create that culture of curiosity of trying of um, wanting to yeah maximize teaching and learning whilst also maximizing social and emotional outcomes in our students as well yeah. and
0: as a school leader as a, I I mean you look quite young um, as a relatively young school leader um, <laughs> is that a is that a difficult line to walk because obviously you need to instill confidence uh, in your staff but you also need to embody uh, vulnerability and to model setbacks and failures so how do you sort of yeah. practically do that as a school leader and do that well
1: so true, Matt. The listeners who can't um, tell that is such a compliment from, from Matt about my age and appearance. But I think there's a great quote I do come back to in my work, Matt, which is, um, "People will never care how much you know until they know how much you care." Yeah. And so you could, we've got, you know, our teaching workforce is made up of career changes of really experienced people from corporate worlds, for example, but new to the teaching profession. And and I really think well. By leading by example, by, by having relationships at the fore of your work, students won't learn in your class um, unless they feel safe and supported. And your colleagues, for example, won't learn at a staff meeting Um, unless they're feeling kind of heard and valued themselves. And so being mindful of all these factors, I think I'm leading by example, being willing to listen and take that feedback on board. But I also think Matt, there's this new generation of educational leaders who are coming through who um, are perhaps not being rushed in a negative way through the leadership um, opportunities and and, um, things around there. But I certainly think of my time in in regional um, centers where there isn't the huge experience um, and, and kind of all the layers of complexity to being involved in school leadership and in particular kind of senior executive and leadership positions in schools. And I think we need people, um, young, young families, young professionals to be coming to the country to be investing in communities and um, and the opportunities are there. And I think by saying to the people, when we first moved to Gunnedah, my wife and I, one of the key things we did was and um, we had enough money to be able to buy a house, which we'd never afford to do in Sydney, of course, and the community was so short they were like what you're not here for six months and then going back to Sydney you're not just going to kind of give this a go this teaching a thing in the country and I said no we're here to invest for the for the long term we're here for the foreseeable future and want to develop deep roots and that was so counter-cultural to so many other people that had come out and um, you know the move with COVID of course and the pandemic has seen a lot of people flexibility working from home some more city um, people moving out towards regional centers and I do think showing that you're here to invest and that you're genuine and authentic and um and showing people that you that you do care they'll come on that journey with you um regardless of yeah of your of your age or perhaps appearance and i think coming back to that authenticity that you don't know you don't presume to know all the answers um but yet you want to learn and you want to do a good job and people will see those good intentions yeah you know i think For your own work, Matt. If you look at this podcast and the impact that you've had in, in your time in 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 and out of the classroom as well, I think it stands as a testament to this kind of new wave of of strategic educational leaders who are thinking, um, yeah, about all those aspects of a good holistic education whilst managing the demands of the twenty first and twenty second century as well. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. And, And. Look, I think it is a, it's a really exciting time in history to be involved in such mm-hmm. a wonderful profession. I mean, I i love change. Um, I haven't always. Um, <laughs> I think I've got better at dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. But it is at, at, at a point, and we'll talk about sort of COVID and the implications of that in a moment, but I think it, it, these last couple of years have caused us to question so many things that we thought were unquestionable uh, in education. And I, I like that, but I'm also sensitive that it can cause a lot of um, can cause many challenges for people mm. that aren't uh, aren't used to change and challenge as much. Um, but, but what has the sort of the current um, COVID nineteen pandemic been like for your school community, and what are some of the lessons that you feel like you have learned or are continuing to learn from this?
1: Yeah, so good, such a good question, man. I think. Um, being in, in regional New South Wales and rural New South Wales, we've seen these later waves and impacts of COVID that the metropolitan states, our cities around Australia have um, felt quite early on. And so I think kind of this staggered implementation actually given us a bit of an advantage to be able to look at our, our colleagues in the metropolitan centres and say, how are you approaching this? What should we be doing? And that sense of unity and being able to learn from each other. Um, now that the pandemic has spread, of course, and it's um, really quite universal in its impact, our schools being. Um, yeah, affected and our school community has been affected quite significantly um, with staff shortages, I acknowledged that earlier, Um, not only directly with kind of vaccination mandates and political agendas there, Matt, but to be honest, just the impact of teachers getting sick and in the country with a lack of uh, good quality uh, medical resources, a lot of people uh, travel up to an hour to Tamworth. to to access anything from, you know, GPs to to quality um, significant kind of hospital um, resources there. And I also think for our student population, um, being a small school, we really feel the impact when some of our our school family are missing. And and that's had ripple impacts in the community and how we relate to each other, how we do teaching and learning in a quality way. And I think some of these lessons that are emerging is is really the flexibility of our students and and how uh, impressed um, I am and my colleagues at at their adaptability. And I think of anything from teaching lessons over Google Meet, which is our platform that our school uses as part of the Google Suite, um, where you'd be teaching students and they'd be sitting in the middle of the paddock, Uh, on their quad bike, uh, doing their maths outdoors because that was where they got the best reception. And that that dedication, that determination to say, I value my learning and I want to honor what my teachers are doing and investing continues to uh, bring great joy and smiles to to, um, the teachers, to our schools. But I also think the lessons coming from it in terms of a pedagogical sense, Matt, and the opportunities to really look at anything from hybrid models of teaching and learning to using technology more intentionally as being something which is... um, which has, yeah, kind of propelled our our profession as a whole forward uh, quite a number of years. Um, that, Of course, we were always heading in that direction inevitably, but it's actually kind of propelled it a little bit more intentionally uh, sooner rather than later. And so the biggest mistake I think all of us can be making from this pandemic and, and teaching uh, and learning is to go back to how we used to do things because things won't won't operate in that model and style anymore. And so really, what are the gems that we want to take away in terms of pedagogy and practice? and um and yeah the nature of that in a rural context just kind of adds even more flavour to the discussion
0: yeah um alex i'm fascinated by that about how um and if we sort of bounce back to what is uh, familiar yes we used to and i i hope that that is not the case but um what are some of the things that um that you are going to keep in terms of great teaching practice and part of
1: your great school community as a result of the pandemic what yeah. is will not change So um, anything for like, I come back to kind of communication, anything around a good, clear messaging. So our school was able to use anything from video conferencing to recorded video messages from staff to communicate that home to families. And that was something which was really, really positive. So Matt, communication, I come back to the sense of community using the language of um, community of learners. So saying to students, we're all trying something new, your teachers are doing something new here, uh, but with this community of learners and, and community of educators and practitioners, but um, who are kind of teaching each other. And you'd have these most amazing students where you'd have the, uh, the most amazing moments where these students would teach you while you're in the middle of your Zoom or video conferencing lesson and say, I wanted to share this PowerPoint that I've done with the class and look at these tools that I'm playing around with. And that, that community of learners is so special and, um, and regularly yeah, being encouraged by that to bring that back to the classroom, bring that back to our schools of, of that collaboration. So we have talked about um, community and we talked about communication and maybe the last thing that would really want to keep, Matt, I think is this opportunity for um, differentiation, for really being able to meet students where they're at. And of course, with the pandemic, we saw um, lots of families struggle with access to, to classwork, to parents kind of taking on or they're doing their best attempt at homeschooling. But of course, nothing really can can come close to the work of a qualified educator in front of students. And so I really do think kind of thinking about our teaching and learning frameworks in schools and saying, how can we really leverage these using digital platforms and digital tools to really differentiate to where each student is at? And if we look at kind of the future of NAPLAN testing and some of those um, higher stakes testing that using online platforms and things like differentiated assessment tools, and if you get a question wrong, instead of kind of progressing on with the packets actually taking you back to really build your understanding, those are the things which I'm so excited about uh, for my children's education as I continue to be in, in education and teaching for the longer term as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. And uh, is there anything that you are not going to do anymore that you used to do before the pandemic? Anything yeah, I, I not, think not I do? think
1: we've really learned that, haven't we? That um, the over reliance perhaps on on the worksheets, on pen and paper as the only tools for writing, on um, as the only tools for creation. Um, has has really been thrown out and really been challenged in lots of ways and whilst we've we talked about decision fatigue earlier in our conversation, whilst we're hyper aware of Zoom fatigue and screen time and balancing all these expectations, I really feel that as a society and as a profession we've opened up much more power in leveraging um, the use of, of technology uh, for good. And so I think, yeah, the old mindset of of, um, of kind of those traditional tools of, of your pen and your paper um, kind of being the, the one-stop shop, which a lot of schools and educators might have had that mindset in and that there's a time and a place for technology, actually, as opposed to saying, no, let's use technology to to kind of underpin so much of the work we do. And of course, um, writing and and um, using those traditional tools still have their place, but they aren't the place uh, for for learning. They're really kind of reviewed now as as that vehicle um, alongside your technology suite as well.
0: Yeah, look, I I couldn't agree more. And as I said, change I find incredibly fascinating um, because we get to question some things that were uh, traditionally perceived at least as immovable.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: so to get to do I, I, I love this kind of stuff and, and my hope is that we we don't spring back into uh, into previous bad habits but I'm, I'm optimistic um, that, yes. we can, that we can learn from this. Um, just wondering um, what currently has your attention? What's either a problem that you're trying to solve either personally or professionally or what's something that is is taking up your focus at the moment?
1: Yeah, so good, Matt. I'm really thinking a lot about um, micro-credentialing and the role um, and opportunities we see here for our young graduates um, for, the, for the workforce, and we already kind of acknowledge the role and importance of further study ourselves, but for our students, um, who, who we wanted to kind of develop these 21st century soft skills around and the role of schools to, to work with um, industry and corporate to look at the role of micro credentialing of mini courses of opportunities to get this real world experience mm. that goes far beyond your year 10 work experience school placement. And, um, and if we want to think about you know those characteristics for your listeners, what think about the schools you work in and think about the characteristics of graduates for the schools you work in and what you want that to look like and, and how you can contribute to that. And what role in that? Um, yeah, we we're at this kind of this point in society where we are seeing this this change. And I think about my own attention and focus, and and really thinking about those uh, that holistic education, those those character education aspects, and um, and really wanting to come back to what role is our school having, being proactive here in in this conversation moving forward, which is a future-focused conversation.
0: Yeah, really, really important. I know that at the University of Melbourne, this is for for um, adults. Does some amazing uh, micro credentials, and yes, I started to see a number of universities offer similar um, types of professional learning. And what a wonderful idea to mm. get to do something similar for our students. I think that's that's incredible. Uh, please let me know how you go with that. I'd love to um, do something similar in our school
1: context. Thanks, Matt. And I think that's certainly relevant for, you know, um, universal for primary and secondary. I don't think that's something that we have to, you know, keep exclusively for secondary students. I think our primary students have such great uh, capacity and competence as well that that's also part of the conversation. Yeah,
0: Yeah. really, really important. Um, Just a couple of closing uh, closing questions, Alex. Um, I'm particularly interested in what makes Karinya christian school such a unique place yeah um obviously uh it's a faith-based school um, that's right so what is it that makes it such a special um lighthouse in the community
1: so good, Matt. It is a lighthouse. That's it's. We're in this beautiful building. That's 1899. It was where it was first established. It's got chimneys and these huge kind of uh, Federation style um, classrooms in 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 the primary part, and then our secondary part's got this new redevelopment. But it's so interesting, Matt, because we come back to three pillars for Karina Ganada, and it's Christ, community, discovery. And so obviously you've kind of acknowledged already the faith-based side in in Christ and and Christian um, faith and under and teachings underpinning all that we do. But you've got also kind of sitting with that alongside that community and discovery and so for a small town to have this kind of influence and input in the community where we're physically located, I hope you and your listeners will come and um, and visit one time we're right next to the main street. And we've got this presence in the community where we do anything from working with the local council, uh, working with the library, um, heavily involved in kind of community outreach events, anything from kind of Anzac Day to the Gunnedah show, if you think I'm um, kind of your local um, kind of Royal Easter show in, in Sydney, for example, that's kind of the Gunnedah version to a Stedfords and I think the community feel that we have and share here, Um, is just so unique and special. And the last part, of course, being discovery, the curiosity of learning and that joy of discovering. Um, is just so precious and special, and that ranges anything from um, kind of our local uh, Aboriginal kind of cultural programs which we run to the kind of the student engagement to the way our teachers approach their own professional development. Curiosity is so important, discovery is so important, and looking at Christ Community Discovery, all three of them, that really makes uh, Karina Gunnada special.
0: Amazing. And I definitely think a, a visit is uh, due at some point. So That's right. It. Professional development, Matt, we can organise this. Absolutely. We can, we can get this done. Um, Alex, a couple of uh, questions. I do want to be respectful of your time, but what do
1: you want your legacy to be? Wow, that is so... Um, That's such a big such a, question, isn't it? It is such a big question and makes me a little bit sad. Um, I know I shouldn't be, but it's a reminder that everything is fleeting with this world, isn't it? And that in... Mm-hmm whatever year and date it will be, that Alex Wharton will be no longer, in, and what will my legacy be? And so I think for us as leaders, coming back to being intentional about that, certainly um, a passion. Um, one, of, one of my mentors and great role models for me was Dr. Paul Brock, who was a significant figure in, um, in the New South Wales Department of Education, and did a lot of work around pre-service teachers as well, and formation around curriculum. And his, he wrote this wonderful autobiography called The Passion for Life, and it was published by the ABC Books. And in his autobiography, he comes back to this word passion and 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 it's peppered full of literary allusions. So right up my alley, alley. (laughs) but teachers um, are are really, you know, we're passionate, Matt, but for my own legacy, the the memories which I have as a student aren't what the teachers taught me in terms of the content knowledge. It comes back to how passionate they were about, Mm. about me as a learner, about helping me on my journey, about their subject. And so um, students and, and people who I've worked with may not remember me, um, or don't necessarily want them my legacy to be one uh, where, you know, they come back to always about the professional subject knowledge, but actually that that passion is so important to the work of, of us in schools, um, in education institutions and organisations. Um, and it comes back to that, that art of teaching, the title of your podcast, that what we do um, is really the business of shaping and changing lives. And the legacy uh, for for more passionate educators to continue to be remembered is certainly something that I want to keep investing in. And if that means one of your listeners seeks to approach something with a little bit more passion or a little bit different um, as a result of listening, then our job here is done. Amazing. Absolutely. That's all we need, just I think one person to...
0: To for their passion to be reignited. That's right. Lives, That's right. That's profession. right. I, like I am aware of the challenges that we have. I get yes. it. But I'm also silly enough to think and optimistic enough to think that we can truly make a difference. And we do do that. That's and right. I, I'm so grateful that you would um, take the time out of your holiday to just uh, speak with me. Um, and my hope is that so many teachers are listening to this on the. the hectic commute to sit through sydney traffic or throughout wherever they are in the world and they get a little bit more passion and hope and excitement for our job because it uh it it truly is a privilege i'm I'm aware that every single day um in my school hundreds of parents give their kids a kiss on the on the cheek and say goodbye and they trust us Yes, to do the best job we can, and That's what right. a, I've got young kids, you've got young kids, and to hand them over to somebody else, yeah. even for a short period of time, is it's a it's an incredible privilege to be
1: the recipient of those those. That's right. Things. That's so good, Matt. You mentioned the word trust there. That's so important. Parents are trusting, you know, their children, their most important really kind of possession, if we can even use that term, their mm. most valued thing to us as teachers, the professional trust that we need to trust each other of, of the work that we do, with, let alone asking and advocating for, you know, politicians and society to trust teachers and reward yeah. them and, and acknowledge them for their work. But Matt, you also picked up on this idea of with the passion that every teacher has that flame inside of them. And I think. You know the micro credentialing the little opportunities of the podcast the professional reading they might do the social media engagement with another teacher all of those are little opportunities just little windows to fan that flame inside of them to have that passion and to come back to we have the best job in the world and this is why we do what we do yeah,
0: absolutely um, alex what advice would you give to someone uh who is considering embarking on a career in education
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, firstly, I'd say I'd say do it. You know, keep keep considering, keep asking questions. Uh, write down all the things that you think you can contribute and that why you might like to do that because there'll be plenty of days in your teaching journey where you'll say, why on earth am I doing this? And have I made a really big error? But we all have those days. And and I also think kind of surrounding yourself early on with like-minded professionals, whether that be your friends from your pre-service teacher days as you journey through uni there. But having that tribe, that network of people who get you, who are your support people, um, the professional development, even the podcast, this one... um, as a case in point, being so important, but do it. We need good teachers. We need passionate professionals. We need competent teachers. And I think, you know, the future of of Australia and the world indeed relies on good teachers. And so you could not be doing anything more important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what a what a wonderful place to start to uh, come to a conclusion of our discussion. Finally, where can people find out more about you? How can they stay in touch with the one Yeah,
1: people? absolutely. Um, so via email is one opportunity, um, Wharton at gmail.com. I've also got a Twitter handle, um, at Wharton Ag, which is most of my last name, W-H-A-R-T-O-N-A-G. Um, I'm on kind of your usual LinkedIn and other opportunities. And I've kept blogs from time to time, Matt, but nothing's been sustained um, that I can link people to, but I'll just put put my name in Google and, and my details are are there. I'd love to connect and reach out and, and think about how I can support you.
0: Well, I'll make sure that all of those details are in the show notes. Um, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a huge privilege, um, an incredible opportunity to get to speak to you. I hope that you get some rest thank before you, the craziness of the school term, but uh, I can't thank you enough for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you to the listeners. Keep Keep up the amazing work that you do.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to the art of teaching podcast today i hope that you like me got some valuable insights out of our discussion for show notes please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com i've one favor to ask if you could please head to the itunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode this would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible also i've created a private facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode the link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.